The freight industry has a massive problem of inefficiency. It's called empty miles. 35% of trucks on the road today are driving empty and our environment is paying the price with millions of CO2 metric tons of emissions wasted every year. Be part of the solution with Convoy. Visit convoy.com sustainability. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to Net Zero Carbon, the show at FreightWaves, where we discuss all the insights, inspiration, and trends in sustainability and freight and logistics. Today, I'm joined by our own Alan Adler. Alan, thanks for joining. Hey, thank you. Very much, Tyler. Appreciate being here. Oh, well, I'm happy you're on because this is an opportunity that's a little bit rare with the show that we've done so far to bring on, you know, cross-platform guests, specialists within the freight waves, you know, editorial and content network who focus on a specific slice of the industry, and that's honestly one reason I really like hosting this show is because the umbrella of sustainability is so broad within our sector that we have the opportunity to bring on experts within lots of different specialties. So. I'd like to just jump off really quickly and let you introduce yourself to this show's audience. Let us know what you're focusing on at Freight Waves, and then we can jump into the conversation. Sure. Well, Tyler, I, again, thanks for having me. I, you know, it's it's interesting because I've been at Freight Waves a little over two years, which makes me sort of a veteran around this shop. And uh, you know, uh, I came in. I was starting to do the original equipment manufacturers and truck makers, and 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 pretty much staying in that lane. And then over time. Um, Things have developed so that I'm focusing, I'm probably spending 60% of my time on autonomous trucking and electrification at this point. I still dabble a little bit in fuels, but not that much. Um, I, I do have a background uh, of sorts, at least from a from a uh, media perspective in hydrogen from a career 20 years at General Motors, where I supported the fuel cell team a couple of times and uh, happened to be sort of a, a, a believer, a long-term believer in, in hydrogen. So, uh, so I've got a little bit of that. I did some biofuel stuff at GM as well. And, um, you know, I don't know how qualified that makes me to be here, but I think, you know, I can be, as we like to say, conversant uh, on, on some of these subjects. So, uh, so happy to be here. Definitely. And I'm sure we'll have a great conversation about it today, mainly because I, I resonate with that uh, feeling of not necessarily being a credentialed expert. I mean, in the sustainability world, there's very few of those. Most of us are self-educated and uncredentialed on this topic because it's so nascent. But in that same, the flip side of that coin actually is it's really not nascent. I mean, you've been talking hydrogen fuel cell for over 20 years. A lot of the same things we're focused on in this show with decarbonization we're just labeled something differently decades ago, right? We're talking about fuel efficiency and cost savings and alternative fuels. And now the focus has just become on the, the output, the tailpipe emissions. And that's where, you know, that demand is sort of pushing back upstream to resurrect these old, older technologies and try and improve them. So um, now we're happy you're here. I look forward to this conversation. I personally am interested in hydrogen and want to learn a lot more about the technologies, the tools that are available and where you think the industry is headed. So maybe we just start there with, you know, what are some of the recent things you're covering within the hydrogen economy within freight? Well, Tyler, let me go back in time a little bit because, you know, you said a couple of decades. Actually, fuel cells from a GM perspective, and again, I, I spent some fair amount of time doing that, goes back over 50 years. I mean, you know, the, the first fuel cell actually 
was uh, was licensed or borrowed from NASA. They used them in the Saturn rockets, as I remember. And uh, GM built a a van um, uh, with uh, hydrogen fuel cells. Uh, it was uh, uh, not terribly successful, but they, it did run. And that was back in 1966. So uh, you know, they, those the, the the story of hydrogen and fuel cells has been around a really long time. However, it's always been ten years away, right? I mean, it's always been something that you know, oh, it's coming, it's coming, but it's ten years away. We had a, a at GM, we had a head of R and D who had predicted ten thousand fuel cell vehicles on the road by 2010. Uh, we didn't come close. I think we did about 120 experimental vehicles, uh, old Chevy Equinoxes that were that were fit with a uh, w- with a fuel cell, and you know ran on you know had the hydrogen tanks and so forth. Um, what's happened recently, and things we've been writing about, um, is that there really is a move now to get us to commercialization. Um, the issue has always been chicken and the egg, right? Do you have the trucks and the fuel cells, or do you have the hydrogen fuel? Well, it's interesting to note, and this has been comparatively recent, and I think it, it follows more of the original plan at, at Nikola, if, if, if you're familiar with Nikola. Um, you know, they came out a few years ago and said, we're going to do fuel cell trucks, long haul trucks. And of course, they, they've run, they've had some sideways movement, of course, with Trevor Milton and things that some of our listeners would be familiar with. But I, I think what they're doing now is they are really scouting out and signing deals for hydrogen fuel uh, availability and both the ability to make the fuel, and some of it isn't green hydrogen, quite honestly, that's very expensive, but at least gray hydrogen coming off of natural gas, uh, splitting natural gas um, is something that is happening. Uh, They've got a number of deals in the works that would presumably create an infrastructure, which is what these trucks are going to need. You can't sell anything at scale unless you have an infrastructure for it. Absolutely. That's a great recap. Thank you for diving into that. And I, I do, and a lot of listeners, I think, do forget the history or maybe don't even know the history. But we're at a very unique point in time with a lot of these technologies looking to commercialize. I mean, think about, to your point, infrastructure, right? In the past, we've wanted to get away from, from fossil, mainly because of expensive costs. We had scarcity moments in the past decades ago. And now that we're in the middle and post-shale revolution and we've got abundant supplies, it's it's interesting because that almost makes things cheaper than they have been in the past. I know in this moment, post COVID bullwhip, we've got this unique uh, you know supply crunch going on in all things oil and gas at the moment, which to be honest is I think even more of a propulsion towards people investing in alternatives. Um, but now we've also got we've got the industry looking to get off of it because of emissions. We've got abundant supply, which makes it a little bit more difficult, but also from the gray hydrogen perspective, means that we might have the bridge fuel that we need. In order to get the infrastructure there, because you're not going to jump from, you know, gray to green overnight at an affordable cost. So you have the potential and the willingness from corporates and fleets and investors to start driving this change. Who do you think are the first movers who can do this at scale? Is it the guys who have announced, you know, commercial agreements with Nikola or is it is it going to be a fleet decision or more of a corporate buyer transport procurement decision? Yeah, let, let's talk about what scale really means in hydrogen. Um, and, and I would compare it to, say, autonomy, right? Another area I spent a lot of time on. I would say that, you know, if you talk about meaningful scale, you're still talking hundreds and thousands of trucks. You're not talking about a transition, at least until, you know, two decades from now, right? And, and until you really are to the point of 
of, you know, you've got to work through a, a, an industry that is, you know, 97% diesel, right? Um, and maybe, you know, one or 2% electric and even less hydrogen. So, you know, the starting point, the bar is high as the, as the saying goes. And I, and I think that, you know, getting to scale uh, of any kind probably means with hydrogen adopting a regional or route-based type of approach that is, you know, hub to hub or li- uh, lanes, pick your certain lanes, that you're going to run on. Um, if you think about how uh, Anheuser-Busch is working with Nikola, they were their first real customer, not a reservation, but actually you know, got on board. They're going to get their first trucks to start driving for testing probably, I would say, early next year uh, or maybe even a little later, depending. Um, but they are assembling a couple alpha versions of the fuel cell truck out here. I'm in Arizona today. And you know they're assembling them up the road, uh, at least alpha versions that will go into testing. But even those are going to run on certain routes. And, and the way Nikola has approached it is, you know, we want to go where the customers tell us they want to run from. Uh, Anheuser-Busch, for example, uh, you know, has operations, I think, in Van Nuys, California, and then out here in Chandler, Arizona. So they'll run between those, those two places. And um, Nikola does have a green hydrogen plan for uh, a station, at least. It was going to be two. I think it's going to be one now. Somewhere along the route, basically. So, so you know, they got a good deal with Arizona Power people to get uh, electricity, which is what's really necessary for electrolyzers, uh, at a good price, under three cents uh, a kilowatt and a kilowatt hour. Excuse me. And I think I think that alone is is a great example. But it's going to be sort of a, a data point, uh, Tyler. It's not going to be the way this is going to go. I mean, you, you got to love things like. Uh, like uh, water or, or, you know, hydropower for this, right? And some of the other areas that you could presumably work with renewables um, to, to get to hydrogen. But unfortunately, or yeah, unfortunately, we're going to see it coming off of natural gas for, for quite some time because it's available and it's doable. I can remember a project, again, back in my GM days in Hawaii where, where they were pulling uh, hydrogen off the natural gas uh, for the utility and then, you know, pumping it out to a couple of, I think it was military bases. My memory isn't perfect here, uh, you know, to fill those Equinox vehicles. And, and uh, you know, again, it was good, but it wasn't great, right? And so one of the questions I think you got to ask is, do you, and this is an old GM line, do you let good be the enemy of the great, right? I mean, the great would be green. Is Is gray good? I guess, you know. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going to go with that. Don't let good be the enemy of, or don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And in, in any sort of a transition, that's ultimately kind of an ideological divide that people have. Right. But I, you and I have talked about this before on the gas side of the fence, because that's where, when I was a broker, that's where I got my start really focusing on alternative fuels was, you know, with the clean energy and Boone Pickens push of a decade ago, waiting on Cummins Westport to come out with a larger engine for over the road. Well, they're now doing that, right? You just sent me an article that the newcomers is bringing the 15 liter over from Europe. Um, and I guess to wrap that into a question is the gray hydrogen needs, in my view, it's the bridge that we need to a transition. And we're, we're just now starting to get technology a decade later for natural gas trucking that probably makes a lot more sense. And it's coming from Europe. So in your view, if route-based newer technologies, do we need to look there first for scale? Is that where we're going to get some of the solutions coming from? Are we still on hydrogen? I'm sorry, because I, I want to talk about that Cummins thing. I think it's a much bigger yeah. deal, perhaps, with other things going on. Um, are we still talking hydrogen? I, I'm hydrogen sorry. and a little bit of gas and how gas plays into that, that infrastructure. 
Yeah. Well, I think the availability of natural gas and the fact that you've got utilities, uh, I can't remember all their names. Um, it's early for me. Uh, but, but there's, there's a deal, uh, both with the, the group out of Canada that was going to do the XL, uh, um, the, the pipeline, Keystone. Thank you. Keystone XL and, and was canceled. They're working now on, on hydrogen. Uh, at least from a letter of intent perspective with Nikola. Nikola has a deal in Europe along with Aveco, which is their manufacturing partner over there to, to basically pull the same thing, you know, pull the hydrogen off the natural gas lines. Um, I think you're right. I think it's transitional. I don't think it's necessarily sustainable long-term because, you know, ultimately the, the purity question comes into play. You know, even with battery electrics, what do we hear all the time? Well, there's zero tailpipe emissions, but you can't call them zero emissions because if your grid is dirty, then, you know, you still have, I guess that's a well to wheel problem of sorts. And, and you really have to respect that. You've got to say, you know, let's look at this in totality, not just at the tailpipe. And so I think that those issues are, are, are going to have to play out. Uh, but are we going to be able to have all green hydrogen anytime, you know, soon? I, I don't see it. I do see opportunity for it. And I think, you know, it's something that, you know, I, I happen to think Cummins, who, who is going to bring that 15 liter natural gas engine over. And just as a plug for our F3 event coming up, uh, we'll have Amy Davis, um, uh, on again. And Amy runs the new power division at, at uh, Cummins. And so she is over hydrogen. She's over a lot of these, um, alternative fuels and, and alternative powertrains that, that they're working on. And, and I feel like, you know, you are not going to be able to just put a, a, a stake in the ground for one thing. Uh, but they've got perhaps the biggest electrolyzer project in North America up near Vancouver. I don't know exactly what's going to be made from it, but you've got to believe that they're going to make hydrogen. And they've predicted that it's Cummins has predicted that they'll do 400 million in revenue from hydrogen fuel by 2025. That's not an insi insignificant number. Um, they'll have plenty of customers, clearly. I mean, we've talked about Nikola, but you also have to bring in uh, Hyzon, which is a, a spinoff of uh, of the group out of Singapore, um, uh, hydrogen, anyway, fuel cell technologies out of Singapore. It's a spinoff, but they are looking at, you know, doing their own branded trucks uh, here and probably will do okay. Um, but they're going to need hydrogen. They've got some plans too. They're doing some methane recapture and things like that. Uh, some, you know, kind of fanciful in a way ideas that, you know, may or may not work. But I think at some point, you know, they're probably going to be buyers, right? And I think Cummins knows that. Um, quite an interesting company over there in Indiana. Definitely. And there's a lot of moving pieces there. And it's not just transport. You know, I'm sure Cummins has plays with industry as well. And one of the things you just mentioned, methane recapture. In my mind, if we look at the potential for natural gas to be a bridge fuel, which we kind of hoped it would be for a decade, um, the renewed focus from the environmental and the corporate and the regulatory community on methane emissions and coupled with the technology, you know, satellite imagery to be able to capture and identify those, I think that could have a, a long tail of effect. That's a terrible phrasing, a long impact on the, the opportunity for transport to really use natural gas in a way it hadn't before, because you do have that pipeline availability. And now you've got technology, hopefully that's coming. I'm sure we all look forward to hearing from Cummins at F3, November 9th through 11th. Everybody should tune in um, about what technology is going to be next and available and cost effective for the industry to adopt. Right. With 35% of trucks on the road driving empty, 
87 million metric tons of carbon emissions are produced annually. Leveraging machine learning and automation, Convoy is efficiently connecting shippers with carriers while reducing carbon emissions. Learn how Convoy's technology can help your business run efficiently and build toward a no empty miles future at convoy.com slash sustainability. Think of it, Tyler, as a roulette wheel, okay? Um, and I think Cummins specifically has bets on red, black, and everything available. And they're looking at everything. I, I ran into a colleague of mine from GM who's actually gone into strategy work at Cummins a few weeks ago, uh, Andrea Slippert. And, and I don't think there's anything that they won't look at, but they are business people and they will evaluate it based on what makes sense from a business perspective. And that's why I think, yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not hyping them, but I think that they have a strategy that says what's workable and what can we really do. So I, I feel like, um, you know, maybe we talk about this uh, 15 liter uh, truck. I actually, uh, you know, I, I wrote about that maybe four months ago in in the Truck Talk newsletter that, that we do on Fridays, because one of the Cummins people mentioned to me that they had a 15 liter in China, they introduced it there last year. And they began questioning the customers here, you know, would you buy that if we brought it here? And the overwhelming response was, yes, we would. And so, again, business decision says, you know, let's put it into um, into, into New York State where, they're, where they build the 12-liter now. And uh, so I, I did a, another item, you know, last week uh, in, in Truck Talk on this and just talked about, you know, what is it that um, that the customers can do? And now we get into another one of those renewable areas, which is RNG or renewable natural gas, makes a great deal more sense. Not that much familiarity with it uh, across the board. But I think if you go in with the idea of doing RNG versus, you know, fossil-based natural gas, now you're talking about something where you really can have both things. You can you can keep California happy, which is never easy to do. And you can get down to, you know, uh, zero or, or negative net zero, really, which is one of those terms that sort of sounds like an oxymoron, but it isn't. And uh, so I think, I think you know, if you if you look at that and you look at the, you talked about this on on one of your recent podcasts, the availability of RNG and the amount of build out that's going on with RNG plants, including companies like Trillium, which is part of uh, part of Love's, uh, you know, the truck stop people, right? Uh, you know, they have they're they're building a. Uh, uh, a renewable uh, natural gas. And then, you know, you're, I think the show I listened to was on renewable diesel, but you really do have some opportunities there. And again, from a drop in fuel perspective, this is what these guys know. You know, I'll, I'll buy an electric truck and test it out, you know, a battery electric truck. But you know what? I'd much prefer something I can put in my tank, right? Oh, yeah. And from a fleet perspective, to your point, familiarity um often does not breed contempt because these guys want to know what they have has uptime and is running. And they're, they're very slow movers when it comes to that. Cause you're driven in a, in a low cost margin compressed industry. That's very cyclical. You've got to have certainty in the business use case. So we need the drivers for decarbonization to come from someone else besides the fleets. Cause these guys just want to move freight. Right. 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 Exactly. And at, at the lowest cost possible, uh, I mean, one of the wraps on natural gas has been that you you have a penalty around torque and around some of the power uh, issues that you don't have with diesel. Um, same thing. It, it's kind of the reverse for ethanol. I mean, ethanol burns a lot hotter, uh, you know, and, and but you don't get the fuel economy from it. Whereas, uh, you know, what's interesting, again, back to the 15 liter is they're talking, you know, 500 horsepower and 1850 pound feet of torque. That's a pretty good truck. Now that may not be 
hills of Colorado kind of truck. But if you're running flat and you're running basically, you know, normal routes, it's going to be fine. And, and I think that there are, you know, natural gas adopters. We ran into one of Volvo's customers not long ago, uh, Manhattan beer uh, distributors. They, they were uh, taking in some electric trucks, but they're, you know, half their fleet of 400, excuse me, is natural gas, right? So, so, you know, you're going to go to the customers that are already familiar with natural gas. Maybe they're buying a 12 liter from you now. I would argue that they're your early adopters, right? And then as, as these regulations in 2024 is a key year because you've got both the sales mandates for electric vehicles in California and you've got uh, uh, the second round of greenhouse gas reductions that are going to have to be paid attention to, whether these guys want to or not. And so, you know, RNG, natural gas, maybe just real natural gas, you know, fossil-based is going to be a player and it's going to be a bigger player than it's been. Uh, you know, the equipment is interesting because it is a little bit different, um, you know, maintenance uh, profile and things like that. But those that are in it are, are probably, as I said, you know, the likely first customers. Definitely. I want to, I want to recap because we could easily talk about this for about seven hours and still only scratch the surface of, of all the exciting changes happening in the industry. But when we think about, you know, decarbonization, net zero carbon, the whole focus of this show, sounds like the enemy or tailpipe emissions and maybe even, you know, cow farts and burps if we're talking methane. And that's an interesting thing to think about is if methane becomes the new face of decarbonization, you know, natural gas could have a, a lot of upside there because you're going to start sealing pipes better, capturing emissions from methane specifically at the wellhead and along transmission lines, which should help the calculation at the at the tank, the tailpipe level. Um, but it also could have an interesting play for hydrogen, as we just talked about earlier. So you've got all these things moving us down, down the field towards the end zone, which hopefully is net zero by 2050. We'll see. The target may move again. But um, I want to ask in the way of, of capping off, why this is interesting to you or why it matters to you. We ask all our show, our participants on this show, you know, why sustainability? Why do we pay attention to it? Why does it matter to you? Right. And and it's interesting because I don't really consider myself a classic so-called tree hugger, which is sort of a, a negative terminology. But what I see is that, you know, we cannot obviously as a planet and we're seeing it already. I mean, you know, I'm not, I, I don't worship the altar of climate change, but I will tell you that I believe it. And I believe that, uh, you know, we're probably late to the game, obviously, in terms of what we need to do. And I think that some of these technologies absolutely have to take on that, call it 20 percent. I mean, the numbers may be different, but that 20 percent of uh, of pollution of greenhouse gas and, and CO2 emissions coming from the trucking space. Right. Uh, we we've got to do something. And so I think that, you know, the things that are coming are not just interesting and make, uh, you know, good copy, which they do. Uh, but I think there's a societal thing going on here. And, and and that momentum, and we've seen it before, it comes and goes. And, you know, we forget these things when times get tough or whatever. But I don't see that waning right now. And I'm still, I'm, I don't know much about it, uh, Tyler, but I'm fascinated when I drive places these days and I see the wind farms that are out there and, and obviously solar, but, but wind is kind of fascinating because those things are so big and cool looking, you know, and when you, when you drive by literally dozens or scores and hundreds of those things, you're thinking, my gosh, we're able to store energy this way and, and use that energy. And it's like, that's pretty exciting. I can't tell you why I don't have a why for it, but it excites me. And it's fun to, fun to think about. 
I love that you ended with that, that it's fun to think about because so often it's easy to look at the dark clouds on the horizon and, and be paralyzed about what we can and feel so insignificant with our own individual contributions that you just kind of throw your hands up. But I, I think if there's one goal that I have from the show, it's that we encourage listeners to learn more, to engage with the content in a way that matters to you personally. But also to your point, we need kind of a societal mindset change, a step change towards thinking about not just immediate satisfaction consumerism, but you know the 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 definition of sustainability is meeting our needs while also making sure we can meet the needs of future generations. So I love that you said that it's fun to think about. There's a lot of arguments and disagreements on both sides of the fence, even with that wind example you gave. But at the end of the day, if we can just kind of go back to a childlike faith and become fascinated with what's possible, I think that's going to create momentum that we need to keep this transition alive and going. So I don't know if we have time for this, but but I want to go back to, you know, uh, sort of the mid 2000s. And I was working at, at GM and we were working on 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 ethanol. Uh, you know, E85 was our was our thing. That's my background. Right? And what's that? That's my background. That's where I was prior to yes. here. That's well, so, you know, uh, I was trying to remember the slogan. I think it was um, live green, go yellow or something like that. Of course, you can make all kinds of silly and crude comments out of that. But but that was the slogan. And and we were into corn ethanol. We thought corn ethanol was a great idea. Um, uh, Glover Park, if you've ever heard of them up in Washington, they were a big lobbying firm. They turned it into a food versus fuel argument. And ethanol in terms of other than, you know, the, the producers that were in it for the uh, for the incentives, uh, the industry was destroyed, in my opinion. Quite honestly, I mean, there's still ethanol out there and there's still E85, but it never got the opportunity that I think GM wanted for it. Um, you know, we hardened the systems, you know, the, the, the hoses and things like that under the hood to handle the corrosive nature of, of ethanol. We did a lot. And, uh, and then we got into, you know, investing into green ethanol. And those guys haven't gone anywhere. One that we were involved with was a company out of Chicago, out of suburban Chicago called Coscata. And they had an anaerobic bug that could make ethanol, right? And it was green ethanol. Um, it, it never got anywhere. So they're like a gasification plant, uh, company now. But, but honestly, those that tried green ethanol never really got very far with it. But you still hear about biomass these days, right? And, and the use of biomass. So I think maybe it's out there. And I, you know, you sent me, uh, I, I think it was a, a DOE sort of, mock uh, mock up of you know what the goals were and i never got excited about those simply because that's what the national labs are telling us and that's sort of what's possible and those are great goals and everything but until people really get into it and invest in it and stay committed to it you know and fight off of the naysayers and the, and, and the lobbies really uh you know that are against it um, we're not getting anywhere. I mean, you can have all the studies you want, uh, you know, showing how great it'll be if we can get the cost down to this and that. But until people are ready to invest in it and really commit to it, then that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and we don't have time. I, I would love to dive into the RVO and EPA and ethanol and all the things. And maybe that's an idea for another show that I'll get to do another time. But your point is well taken. We need collaboration and not contention. And I think the winds are blowing in such a way where specifically with, you know, oil and ag sectors and corporates, we've got a lot of tailwinds behind us. I'm just excited for the future. So thanks again for, for taking the time for deep diving. We'll have to do it again. 
where real quick, tell, tell listeners where they can hear more from you. Tell us about the truck talks newsletter. And then I've got one quick announcement before we, before we go. Sure. Sure. Well, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to plug. Uh, truck talk, uh, comes out on Fridays. You can uh, subscribe, uh, on freightwaves.com under newsletters, click on that. And then I think you just register for it. Um, we're happy. We've crossed about 4,000 subscribers now, which is pretty exciting. And, uh, we also put it up. Thank you. Yeah, we also we also publish it uh, on FreightWaves.com uh, on Fridays as well. Um, what I try to do there, Tyler, is step back, take a perspective and a contextual view of issues in the industry. And I will occasionally write about diesel engines. I'll do that tomorrow. But honestly, I, I feel like there's so much going on in the in sort of the new energy space as well as uh, autonomy that we have lots and lots we can talk about. So we try to do that on Friday. That's perfect. And that's a great segue to ending here because our big announcement on this show is we are also launching our own newsletter under the Net Zero Carbon heading where listeners can go. If you've enjoyed listening to the show, it's at the same place where you can sign up for Alan's newsletter and all the other great ones at FreightWaves. You go to FreightWaves.com, click on Communities Newsletters, and you'll see the full long list of excellent, excellent research and topics you can research and have come into your inbox weekly. So thank you, Alan. This was a pleasure. Uh, We'll have to do it again soon. Okay, Tyler, thank you for having me.